Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming up next on this episode of the Distinguished Savage Podcast. Yeah. Whole blood transfusion doesn't save a life in LA County, you know, where you're in South Central LA, you're five minutes away from a trauma oh, center. Yeah. There's absolutely no reason for you to be carrying whole blood. Like if you need to give whole blood because they're not going to make it five minutes to the trauma center, that person's probably not going to make it. But if you need to give a couple of units to someone who has an hour and a half transport time, who maybe lost some blood in the field and who may or may not be actively bleeding, and you can give TXA along with whole blood you're probably going to save that guy's life and get him to the trauma center. So, yeah. you know, a lot of this innovation comes from um, just the the actual need, just based on the geographics of where you're working. You know, yeah. the whole blood is not going to happen in the heart of New York City. Yeah. Whole blood is not going to happen in the heart of San Francisco. Coming up on this episode, Dr. Michael Gerges, a man of many talents, physician, LAO, executive protection doc, and more. Welcome to the Distinguished Savage Podcast. Welcome back to the Distinguished Savage Podcast. Before we get to my conversation with Dr. G, this episode is brought to you by Absolute Security and Lock, located in beautiful Roxburgh, North Carolina, serving both North and South Carolina. ASL is your total security company, providing locksmithing, security systems, cameras, safes, and they provide all your commercial, residential, and automotive security solutions. Safe work they do alone is absolutely incredible. If you have a safe for a vault you need opened or fixed, ASL can do it. Whether you need new keys, lock, security system for your commercial or residential, fantastic monitoring rates, CCTV, security doors, electronic access, the list goes on. They are family. Licensed and bonded with 20 years of experience. They installed my uh, cameras, locks, and security systems here at Rogue Manor South. You guys know how I feel about security, but you can find ASL on their website, absolutesecurityandlock.com or by phone, 866-322-4598. Tell them I sent you. Doesn't get you a discount, unfortunately. But today on the show, my guest is Dr. Michael Gerges. Dr. G is a board-certified emergency physician, 20 years of experience in emergency medicine, pre-hospital medicine, helicopter EMS, law enforcement, and tactical medicine, as well as dive medicine. What doesn't this guy do? When's this guy sleep? 
He is the medical director of a company called XPJ that provides its former and current Air Force pararescuemen provide both medical support and executive protection. His resume is pretty goddamn impressive. UCLA undergrad, Harvard School of Medicine, reserve deputy for San Bernardino County in both Hilo and dive medicine direction and operation and founder of Raven Medical Support Group, providing medical direction and support for executive protection specialists. Above all, man, he is a fascinating guy, direct, succinct, and to the point he is everything you want in an ER doc and medical support. Those of us in pre-hospital medicine, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I will say I apologize in advance. This episode, uh, I wasn't on as I wasn't on as usual. I'd like to think I'm on that morning. The morning I recorded with him or the afternoon, actually, I just finished up cleaning up a, our basement flooded. So there's that. So there's a lot of water and things. I was dealing with the insurance and all that. So I don't feel like I was a spot on, but man, Doc was incredible. So there's that. But we talk about a myriad of things. We dig into the various facets of medical care provided by EP agents, as well as some of the differences in pre-hospital medicine and what makes uh, what that means in the EP world more specifically. Dr. G is an incredibly solid guy and his breadth of knowledge, as you'll hear in this is absolutely incredible in the various fields. It's whether it's dive medicine, uh, law enforcement work, Kilo EP, it's pretty fascinating. And there are not a lot of physicians doing this kind of work. And honestly, there's not a lot of medical direction in the EP world right now. So it's really interesting that he's, he's pretty much at the forefront of this. So, with no further ado, and me not yammer anymore, here is my conversation with the very awesome Dr. Michael Gerges. In second here, Dr. Michael Gerges. Man, good to have you on, Dr. G. It's good to good to, good to meet. Yeah, man, it is. It is, man. I I heard you on um, with uh, Chris and Chuck on uh, conversations in close protection. I'm like this guy speaks to my soul, man. I yeah, so- no, he's go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Ah, oh, yeah, I was just guy, man. I started sending it out to friends of mine, a buddy of mine who's a tactical medic and also does uh, protection work uh, down in South Carolina. I was like, hey, man. And he said, I'd already put it on. Uh, so um, I work for KDI Protective Services, right? And so I already okay. put it on our crew app. And then uh, he sent it out. He's like, hey, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but everybody needs to listen to this. And I'm like, yeah, that's what's up, man. Then we both were just sending it out. It's, it, was, it was an awesome, awesome episode. I put it up on my Instagram as well. Man, I got a lot of good feedback. I was like, yeah, man, where's this guy been? I'm like, I know. Well, everywhere, apparently. Yeah, I don't use the Instagram so much. I'll have to find you on uh, on Instagram. Uh, it's kind of new to me, the whole. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. it it's new to me. LinkedIn is kind of usually where I where I do my thing, but I'll, I'll find you. Yeah, man. No, after, well, after the bus. Yeah, so for me, like LinkedIn sort of new for me, right? So I just, I'm probably, what, June, I think. I actually, I'm like, ah, I just got to do it. And so yeah, it's I think sort of a. God, go ahead. Yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is your. Uh, I think LinkedIn is your friend in this industry. Makes yeah. lots of good connections. Yeah, it's really interesting too. Like, and a lot of people already knew. I'm like, oh shit, they're like, like finally. And I'm like, yeah, I know, man. I know, I know. But man, it's awesome to have you on. I, I really dug your. So I hadn't heard of you till I heard uh, the conversations in close protection with Chuck and Chris. And man, you went down some rabbit holes that I want to, well, well, they went down some, I think me being already being a medical provider anyway, paramedic for 30 years, like, and just kind of moving into this and having been a, a rescue medic and a tactical medic, right? I was like, this guy is all over it. But man, first I want to know, right, if you haven't heard it, right, you, what haven't you done so far, right? Because doctor went to, uh, you, you're LEO, right? Sworn LEO? Uh, San Bernardino. San Bernardino. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, with San Bernardino, uh, San Bernardino Sheriff's, yeah. Sworn LAO. I just did 20 years in August, so 
Uh, I'm looking for a little change probably in the near future. Uh, we can probably discuss that, but we'll see. Yeah, man. How did you get into doing the protection aspect of it? Is it, was it through the LEO side of it beginning or? It was actually through, it was well, so that was part of it. So it was part through uh, a buddy of mine who I worked with kind of knew my whole background in tech med law enforcement, a lot of the uh, field medicine mm-hmm. stuff I'd done, the um, kind of events-based medicine. I worked for NASCAR yeah. for the longest time and, and did a lot of that work. And uh, yeah, he hit me up and he said, hey, listen, I got a buddy of mine who's you know a, a soft guy in Northern California in Silicon Valley, and they're looking for a medical director. You know, They've got an executive protection team for a private family office. And, you know, he connected us, you know, we, we chatted, kind of discussed what I could bring to the team, kind of learned about the whole EP space. I didn't know really anything about, yeah. you know, EP space and, you know, other than just kind of the typical buddy guard, bodyguard, Hollywood type, you know, the big yeah. guy that, you know, follows, you know, the, uh, the actress or the actor. Yeah. And that's what I thought EP was. And then I did just basically was introduced to this whole new world. So, you know, I'm on year five now of being a medical director for a private family office. I've been working with the the same group. It's a relatively, I mean, it's a pretty big uh, security group. I mean, there's probably 70 to 80 uh, security personnel mixed in nice. with um, soft medics, uh, PJs on the team that do yeah. a lot of kind of day-to-day medical management. Yeah. And, and our goal was basically to to get everybody trained up medical. Obviously, they were all EP folks. Um, and they've been trained in uh, EP and a lot of the guys on the team and gals on the team have been doing it for years. And, you know, my role was to get in there and just get them all kind of medically trained. I mean, obviously I had some of the soft medics and military medics that, you know, already squared away, but, you know, our, our goal was to get everybody at least at a, a first responder, you know, basic life support, CPR, AED, stop the bleed, the hemorrhage control type training and then those who wanted to advance a little, get them into EMT uh, basic courses. And, uh, you know, now there's some talk about, you know, doing a little more EMT advanced work, oh, nice. um, trying to give uh, give them a little uh, larger scope of yeah. Yeah, yeah, medical yeah. practice. So, you know, it's, uh, it's still a work in progress. I mean, four years now complete. And, you know, it, it's still, it's just, you know, just trying to get, a step above and beyond of just kind of the basic skill yeah, set yeah, yeah. that, you know, I think every EP provider should have. Yeah, man. I love that. I love that thought process. So we, um, I like the fact that you, that you're talking to guys about going EMT. So obviously if they're a PJ, they come out with a, with a paramedic, right? Yeah. They've already got their medic, which is brilliant. I don't know why 18 Delta doesn't do that. I mean, cause 18, well, they're basically a PA, but without the thing, right. Like, you know, but, but you know, I could see like your, your soft medics, like if they're especially 18 D or if they're, you know, or a PJ, they, they already sort of have that view. And, the PJs do some uh, EMS rideouts, don't they? On some of their in some of their stuff, I can't remember if they do some oh, in the clinicals or not. Oh yeah, no, they do when they when they go to medic school. They they're doing uh, rideouts with the the local hospitals, depending on where they train. A lot of them train out in Mexico. Yeah. Um, and the great so I mean the eighteen deltas. I mean obviously they've got the medical background, but I think yeah. with a couple of the deltas that we had on the team i think the issue was is once they got out they got out right and they weren't kind of in the reserves they weren't kind of continuing continuing their medical training so a lot of them just felt uncomfortable doing the medical being out for three four or five years yeah Uh, i think the great thing about the the pj community is they um continue usually to be reservists once they you know fully get out yeah um, 
and when they do that, I mean, they're, they're still training. Uh, they're still doing a lot of their medical training. A lot of guys that, you know, I work with, um, on the XPJ side, which we can talk about later, which yeah, is a yeah, company yeah. that was started by PJ. Uh, a lot of those guys are basically, you know, still reservists and they still do their time and, and they get call outs. I mean, they get, you know, these cargo ships off the coast where there's medical emergencies and they have mm-hmm. to, you know, either get set on the uh, cargo ship or, you know, pair jump into the water and, and, and kind of provide that prolonged field care till they can, you know, extricate, uh, the patient, you know, back to the, to the, yeah. so. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where the PJ set themselves apart from any of the other kind of medical military military folks. Just that kind of that continuous training, um, and so we've got you know a, a great program with the PJs there. So, Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I, I think, too, just, uh, you know, having one of my old commanders was a PJ, you know, and I, one of our team guys was a 18 Delta with Austin, Travis County EMS. It's interesting to see because like with the PJs, they have a, they have a tow in pretty much every water basically because they're awesome swimmers. They can do swift water rescue. They can do austere rescue stuff. They know ropes. They they also have their paramedic. I, I don't think I ever understood why 18 Deltas, I know 18 Delta lead, lends more towards like, I mean, they're doing labs and they're, you know, like prescribing things, whatnot. And I get that from like a, so having gone through con times, I understand that like prolonged field care or you're out for a long time and you're having to like, you know, maybe keep somebody alive for 24 to 40 hours, which the PJs can do as well. Right. I think it just seems to me like the PJ program and I said, not shitting on the 18 deltas obviously. Right. But, yeah. but you know, they, they seem to have a more well-rounded skill set that transfers a little bit better to, to like, well, for you know, doing rescue and EMS or like, or for protection work. Right. Cause you've got a little bit of everything. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I think the 18 Deltas are, are spot on. I mean, if they, you know, yeah. the guy was retiring and day two, he decides to go to EP medicine, I think he'd be 100% fit for it. I just don't know. I don't know enough about the community. I don't know if these guys come out and they just say, I'm done with medicine or, yeah. you know, uh, your buddy in Austin County kind of comes out and does paramedicine in the community. He's yeah. going to maintain his skill set. But a lot of the guys are coming out looking for security jobs, law enforcement jobs, things like that. And then the medicine kind of gets pushed away. And that's just kind of the, the, once you get into, uh, you know, law enforcement, it, you're probably going to be a beat cop for a couple of years before you get put yeah. on a, a SWAT team or be a TAC medic and things like that. Now you're two, three years out, you know, of any kind of, yeah. you know, medical training. And then you start to feel kind of uncomfortable on your skill set, And, you know, and then also, you know, with the military, um, you're not going to get, some of those medical calls. Well, I shouldn't say that a, lo- a lot of the stuff you're going to see is traumatic. And a lot of the stuff you see in EP is not trauma. It's going to be kind yeah. of medical. Yeah. So, I was, yeah. That's something I want to talk to you about. Right. So with your guys that you're doing with the, like, so on that EP side of that, right. Cause that's something for me coming in. And I, we talked earlier about my buddy, Brian Collins, who also does EP work for KDI, right. We've, we're the only two paramedics there right now. Right. And so we're sort of trying to steer this whole thought process. We teach the TECC, that whole thought process. Right. But we're kind of trying to talk about like, all right, what's, what's acceptable. And then too, like, it's, it's, it's not like EMS. It's not like being a tactical medic where 
I know what my specific job is. I do with, with uh, that, but like usually I'm, you know, I'm probably, I'm a team, I'm probably a medic for the team guys. Right. And I'm also probably a medic for the principal. If something goes awry or they have a seizure, and like you said, odds are it's going to be more medical, right? Seizure, heart problems, something like that. Is that what you found as well? Oh yeah. Uh, the, uh, 80 to 90% is going to be medical. I mean, we've had one traumatic, um, injury, uh, doing maritime work. Uh, and it wasn't even our client. It just so happened to be another boat. It was a boat on boat injury. Mm. It was pretty bad traumatic injury. Uh, but the rest of the stuff that we have is it, it's typical, just every day, it twisted my ankle, sprained my wrist. You know, you get the yacht crews that are, you know, pull on ropes and things and they, you know, get rope yeah. burn or they, you know, sprain their wrist or they roll their ankle on the, you know, on, on the, on the boat or cellulitis, you know, yeah. uh, we've had corneal abrasions. So a lot of it is, is Ooh. just metal. Um, and, and even for, you know, for that tr- trauma case, I mean, you're kind of, I mean, this happened in the Caribbean. So you're in the middle of kind of nowhere. Mm, you're not going to get yeah. a level one trauma center. And this guy needed a level one trauma center. And he basically had to be medevaced out. Um, and if it wasn't probably for us and helping facilitate a, a medevac, you know, this is yeah. just a family out there in the Caribbean having, a, you know, a good old time. You know, there would have been probably even longer delay uh, in evacuation to, you know, the States. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of, we're lucky to be at the right place at the right time. And our guys could our help out and our principal was okay with, you know, our guys helping out, you know, a lot nice. of sometimes some of these principals uh, just see lawyers and liability and they, and yeah. they kind of don't want to get involved, but you know, I've got a, a, a pretty good, you know, down to earth uh, principal who was okay with us getting involved. So, you know, oh, that's cool. That's cool. So if you're not on scene, are you doing like telemedicine with your guys? I mean, are you, what's, yeah. how's that work? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all telemedicine. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, obviously you don't want your guy calling you like during the initial primary assessment, Yeah, they just kind of, right. Yeah. So, and I think there's this, there's this thought that, oh, you could just throw an EMT on board and just have a medical director mm. and just start talking to an EMT basic who basically has no world experience, just went through EMT school. Yeah. That just doesn't work. I mean, you got to be confident in the guys that you send out, especially to some of these austere environments. And make sure that they're, you know, good with doing a primary, secondary assessment and then, send, you know, giving you the phone call. Yeah. I mean, it happens with the PJs, right? The PJs go out, they'll do their initial assessments. They kind of know that uh, initial first round of treatment and protocols and things like that. And then if it becomes a two or three day, you know, uh, prolonged, uh, prolonged field care event, then that's where the telemedicine comes into effect. And you can start talking to, you know, docs and specialists and things like that, depending on what the uh, case is. Uh, so that's the way I see, you know, EP medicine should be. And yeah. I just think, I just think the security folks, law enforcement folks, military folks with no medical background that kind of move into the EP space and the EP industry just don't kind of realize that because it's just not their, you know, it's not their field that they're, they're yeah. used to. So, yeah, and that's where, you know, there's uh, people like me and a few other docs in the industry that are you know, trying to push that medical direction and, and just training for the folks and, and making sure that we have the right personnel for the right trip based on yeah. you know, threat assessment. Yeah. Well, I think it's huge too, because it's hard to find a physician who's looking to come into that. Right. I know a couple of uh, our old assistant medical director at Austin was a 19th group guy. Right. And so that made our medicine super progressive at Austin, which was really nice as well as the, our medical director. But 
but that was nice, right? Because I come, you know, I moved back home to North Carolina and some of these EMS systems, like I've, you know, talked to friends who work in here. And I'm like, so, you know, are you guys doing whole blood? And they're like, yeah, no. And I'm like, bring your thoracotomies. They're like, no, like ultrasound. No. And is it necessary? Does it have to be had? No, but it's, you know, like it, it's interesting coming back and seeing like EMS systems here where like back in April, I was doing, I did, did bilateral thoracotomies on a, on a gunshot victim right in downtown Austin. And it's interesting to see one where EMS is going. Cause that's a whole other kettle of fish, right? Which it's yeah. a weird bullia basie, like that, that's a whole other conversation, right? But for EP medicine, especially on getting the ultrasound aspect of it, cause I think that's huge, but man, it's, it's interesting that you, that you are there like you and a couple other doctors are actually trying to push this idea. Cause that's what myself and Brian are pushing. Unfortunately, Carl, the guy that runs KDI or he's CEO and founder, but you know, he's very much with our vision of like, Hey, look, you know, we're going to need a medical director. We're going to need, we have a PA that works with us too. He's an ortho guy, but he's also, he was a devil dog, right? He had a couple of deployments overseas. Right. So, you know, he knows the trauma side of it, but whereas Brian and I come from, we're both, we're, we're both paramedics, right? We've been on the streets, think between him and both there's about 60 years between us right of like just being on a box and seeing a little bit of everything and like you said i think it's huge if you've got a provider an ep that's because like is it going to be a trauma maybe right you know everybody wants it to be the cool trauma the gunshot one but no you're like yeah it's gonna it's gonna be chest pain or it's gonna be a seizure or it's gonna be some some like you know like you said some injury you know sprained ankles like rope burns that whole nine yards right i mean but just I carry a little uh, uh, tooth kit in my little EP bag that I set up, right? Because I'm like, I might have to make a like a, a field expedient filling till I can get you somewhere to a real dentist who knows what they're doing, right? But it, I did, the long and short of that is, is it's huge that you're pushing in that direction. How many other docs are doing that besides you? I'm sure there's a bunch kind of in the dark doing it. I mean, this is yeah, this. This doesn't lend. Uh, it's a weird a spot, kind of right? Publicized, yeah. It doesn't lend for being kind of a publicized um, profession. Um, part of it is politics. Part of it is just you know NDAs. I mean, there's nothing specific on my LinkedIn that says who I'm working for, other than yeah. just generic, other than XBJ, which is you know not an issue. But you know, my private family office, I don't expose who I I work for. I mean, I just talk, talk in generalities. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know there's a few out there that are doing it for other groups and, it, you know, it, it's, it, it's a weird space because it's, you it know, is. some people, you know, I mean, not all physicians are, are meant to do this either. No, um, no, you're right. I've like, heard stories of secret service where they had their team doc was a podiatrist. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, and, it, and it's just like, at that point, you're just looking for someone to, to you know write write off on meds and a dea yeah. license so they can carry you know narcotics but otherwise it's probably not the most appropriate p- person no but you know it takes a special kind of person to have that security mindset that 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 tactical medicine uh mindset but then also just to be able to do the telemedicine component and work with you know uh, a bunch of security personnel and kind of yeah. their personality so well i think too just like from uh, especially recently with like um family members, right. Dealing with like dealing with an emergency room doc, dealing with a neurologist and dealing with a hospitalist are all very different 
conversations, right? You know, I'm just like some paramedic guy, right? But I'm trying to advocate for my stepmom at the same point, right? So, you know, and I'm most comfortable talking to the ED doc because I'm like, hey, look, this was a this was a time of onset. Here's her meds, history, allergies. You know, here's her OPQRST, right? Because that's what I've always done, right? I come in and give a patient report, you know, but I try to throw like, hey, this is my stepmom, blah blah blah. You know, and I always sort of want to be that guy that's like, I'm been a paramedic for 30 years and I'm gonna tell you what's up doc right because right. I and they've got their thing your, your background's emergency medicine correct you did uh yeah so, yeah yeah more uh just went to Loma Linda did a, a three-year emergency medicine residency in uh, San Bernardino County and we were a level one trauma center nice. uh, we were a level one trauma center for both peds and adults so you know we had a pediatric hospital mm-hmm. attached to the adults so we basically saw you know, everything and anything. Uh, San Bernardino County is the largest landmass county in the country. Uh, huge. So EMS was really important to us. Flight medicine was really important to us because you get people, you know, three hours away by ground and yeah. we're the nearest trauma center. Yeah. Uh, so if we didn't have HEMS and, you know, some of the other things that we had in the county um, with rapid transfers from other uh, hospitals to trauma centers and things like that, uh, it would, you know, the county would be a mess, but it's a pretty good system. So, yeah, I mean, I did that. I graduated residency 18 years ago now. So I've been doing this oh, for 20, 21 years. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. And I mean, it was great training. Um, hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Emergency medicine is, is my love, you know, my my true passion is the kind of out of hospital emergency medicine. So yeah, yeah, you know, I, I get want, that. Yeah, so the yeah, I mean, it's look, emergency medicine is fun, but it can be monotonous, right? You can yeah. only see so many chest pains, so many belly pains, so many pregnant vag bleeders, so many ear pains, you know, so many cough, cold, runny noses uh, a day before you're just like, oh my god, this is you know, it's not as glamorous as it is, yeah. you know, on the TV show. Wears yeah. you out. Yeah, it does. It wears you out. But then when you're you know, able to do motocross and NASCAR, you know, and the great thing about where we trained was uh, I had a great mentor who was really respected in EMS and is still respected in EMS. And, you know, he had an ambulance company on the side that basically did event medicine, not your typical phone calls. And so we would go to motocross and NASCAR was team doc Mm -hmm. for, you know, uh, some of the teams and, and done sports medicine and that just emergency medicine is one of those fields where it just kind of lends yourself to to be very versatile your yeah, neurologist yeah. can't do that your internal medicine doc can't do that your podiatrist can't do that your yeah dentist exactly can't do that. so you know it's it's been a, it's been a great profession but you know after 20 years you know emergency medicine is the 
is the specialty where burnout is the highest and you know you start to yeah. feel it and you're just like i i need to switch it up a little bit otherwise yeah I'm go crazy yeah i get that it's interesting too uh because there's a motocross track in austin and when i was here in north carolina before paramedic here right we did a lot of i didn't switch the medicine side of nascar but there's a there's a small nascar track here in hickory and so we did all the extrication on that stuff right and it's it's a mm-hmm. whole other world especially once you get to Charlotte Motor Speedway. I got to go on the, when the, uh, that bridge at Charlotte Motor Speedway collapsed. But you have guys coming out of the, the woodwork who actually have a solid rescue skill base. Or even when we're F1, we supplied medics for F1 in Austin. And the amount of training and the, some of the rescue stuff that those guys do is, it's solid work, right? And it's a definitely a niche, right? Just like motocross, right? I've probably, I think I've darted several motocross guys who took a big shot to the chest a couple of times. And, but it's, it's definitely not where you would think you would see some of the things that you see. Rodeo too was big in Austin, right? So a lot of those guys. Oh yeah. It's, it's cool. And those, and those guys are tough. Yeah. yeah. Those, so we, oh, I mean, with the sheriff's department every year, they have a rodeo, you know, they have yeah. a sheriff rodeo every year and those guys are tough. I mean, they could have a broken collarbone yeah, and shoulder they, they dislocated and they don't care. They don't, they refuse medical. They refuse yep. transport. They're like, I'll have my buddy take me and, you know, with the accent and all. And I know, I know. Like, said, yep. okay. You yep. know, and then you got the 20 year olds that are coming in with their stub toe wanting Norco, you know, that you've seen <laughs> in the emergency department. It, yeah. It's just two different breeds of, two different breeds of men, you know? So it, it is, man. It is. It's interesting the people you see in like emergency medicine, whether it's free hospital or hospital, right? Cause I mean, I, I, I bring them to you, right? That's pretty much how it works, right? And you're just, you know, how many dogs will come in? I'm like, ah, uh, you know, he's got a stubbed toe, right? It's always the toe pain or it's like two in the morning, right. you know? And I'm like, yeah, it just got worse right now. Right. And I'm like, uh, it's, it's yeah. a weird, it's a weird genre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as ER docs, as you know, EMS personnel, you start to get a, a real jaded, uh, personality. No, yeah, you do. So, you know, we've got different type personalities and it's just, you know, it's what we do to kind of survive the the stress yeah. of what we do. You got to make light of it, otherwise, you'll everybody would be quitting within five years if you can't make fun of it. Yeah, yeah, that that's absolutely true, man. Yeah, we all have dark senses of the humor. How do you deal with like whether it's like if it's another state, if it's because I'm not sure exactly how a physician's license works, right? Do you have to be licensed in that state? Do you like how does that work if you're like or if you're international, right? Yeah, so that that's where everything becomes real sticky because yeah. our typical EMS systems aren't set up for this type of work, right? No. It's set up for state based state based work licensing, and then mm-hmm. depending on the state, then you've got county based work, and every county or maybe just you know region of multiple counties then have you know a local EMS agency and they have yep. their own, and then you've got jurisdictions by you know city uh, yep. or province. Uh, so it becomes real difficult in, in terms of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm licensed in multiple states, uh, where California, Nevada, Florida, uh, where we have most of our operations set. Nice. And in terms of, you know, it's impossible for me to be licensed in 50 states. I, I, yeah. just, I wouldn't do it. But the reality is, is when our medics, you know, travel across state lines, you know, we've got, uh, I'll talk about two things. I mean, so the private family office. You know, we're either California based or, or out of the country. And usually when we're out of the country, it's international waters. We're on a yacht. We're, you know, a few miles off the coast, six miles off the coast. We're in international waters. That's a whole different, you know, captain uh, of the, of the ship is, you know, the, you know, the, the main person and it's his own little country, you know, his boat is his own little country. So, you know, we're, we're, 
lot of the times we're under captain direction and obviously he'll defer to us in terms of medical um in the states you know we're covered our our emt medics and our emt uh, basics are you know all state licensed uh, if we do have to go kind of out of state where we're not there it, it all depends it all depends on how long we're going to be there are we just are we just passing through or or does our client have a, a home in montana that he spends two months in i'm yeah. talking to generalities now but uh, if he does, then we just get licensed. We know who's going and we could just kind of get licensed there. But the reality is, is the system's just not set up for, no. you know, some of this, you know, cross state uh, travel. And, yeah. and the true reality is, is we're not providing medical services for the general public. Yeah, no, exactly. We're providing it for a client. We're providing it for a client's family and possibly some friends here or there. Yeah. And uh, otherwise, it's it's nine one one if they don't want our services if they're family. But I mean, obviously, our principal principal's family is well aware of what we can do and our capabilities. And obviously, they're confident enough to you know hire these guys. And yeah, obviously, we'll we'll take care of what we need to take care of. So that that is something that you know I don't I don't you know I know there's an EMS compact now where there's some states where uh, I don't I think it's like 30 states now where you can easily get licensed for you know EMS personnel uh, yeah but it's not a oh you're licensed in Nevada so you can go practice in 20 states you still have yeah. to you know get licensed in the other state it's just more of a fast track yeah <clears throat> yeah it's it's dicey my girlfriend's an RN and so to get her compact license here is super easy um not cheap but super easy from Texas to North Carolina a little more intricate for me going from Texas paramedic because now I hold you know North Carolina and Texas paramedics till like twenty seven, but um, it's a little more. I don't think I've been fingerprinted as many times whether I'm coming in for like you know here for like for South Carolina law enforcement for the for the security stuff, you know North Carolina for my concealed carry like you know for for my fingerprints for uh, Texas because I renewed it before I left and then now fingerprints right. for for North Carolina OEMS. But it's I think that's the thing with EMS. I mean, and I don't know how well you know that world, right? But like one county to the next county can be two different worlds, right? And that gets tough too. I imagine that's got to be interesting too when you guys, if you get guys in, because I think I'm kind of the anomaly of a paramedic coming into EP because you see the military guy, well, I'm former military too, but it's been a long time, right? But and I, would, I was just infantry guy then. I got no medicine. And it's got to be interesting having guys who come in who maybe uh, like my sort of thing, like where I've just been a paramedic and done the special operations side of EMS and tactical, but, but street, a lot of street time, right. As opposed to, I think military medics, it's going to be more that military side. It's going to be a lot of trauma, right. I assume. Have you, have you run up against that or like, or am I kind of the anomaly? What's. No, I mean, so here's a prime example of how it can be uh, different between counties. So Isima, which is San Bernardino County kind of river, uh, Isima, uh, San Bernardino County and some of the other smaller Inyo County and things like that. Um, we give ketamine now for pain. So mm. we have protocols for ketamine for pain. San Bernardino touches LA County. LA County does not have ketamine for pain. But the, re but the reality is, is there is a system set up where let's say you're a medic and you pick up someone in San Bernardino County and you give them uh, ketamine for pain and mm. you transport them to LA County uh, for Pomona Valley is, is one of these trauma centers that was just newly uh, set up in the last three or four years. Yeah. Uh, it was always a trauma center, but it was designated as a level one trauma center. If that medic starts in San Bernardino County, gives ketamine and has to go to Pomona Valley, which is the trauma center in LA County, yeah. they're covered because they're yeah. working under the protocols of their county, even though they're 
they're traveling state lines. I've done it. We have, you know, Baker to Vegas run, which is a big law enforcement run uh, from Baker, uh, California to Las Vegas. And, it, you know, it's a 12 hour run. It's a relay with law enforcement from all over. You get federal out of country. Uh, a lot of, you know, the state, the state, California state agencies will, will run it, that relay. And it's always a big, you know, a big event on your particular weekend. I think it's in March now. Um, and the reality is, is sometimes these EMS agencies can just be really sticklers on who they want coming in to provide medicine. I remember a time where San Bernardino County didn't want to allow the LA County EMS guys to come and practice in San Bernardino County, literally 20 miles away because of they weren't credentialed under, you know, ISMA as paramedics. Mm. And it's just a political money yeah. fight. And it's just kind of nonsense. It makes absolutely no sense. Any LA County guy should be able to come into San Bernardino County for a weekend and yeah. provide medical for their SWAT team, their running team. Um, and then just use the, I mean, obviously they shouldn't use our protocols in San Bernardino County. They yeah. should use the ones that they're used to yeah. in LA County. Yeah. Uh, and it shouldn't really be an issue. Uh, but you know, it, it, politics and, and all this nonsense oh, yeah. and, and bravado and all that, everybody yeah. wants to make a big deal about it, you know, and that's why it, it's such a gray area with this, you know, traveling between state lines and things like that. You, you gotta be careful. You know, you, you can't be running around, uh, with narcotics and things like that. And states are not licensed yeah. in. So we yeah. have, um, you know, ways to deal with that. Um, but it, it's just, it just becomes, you know, sometimes it's, it's too crazy. Yeah, it yeah. just becomes sticky. And the reality is, is it's it's a gray. Nobody could tell you that what you're doing is legal or illegal or, no. or whatever. Um, so it, it's it, I've I've looked and looked and searched for answers and searched for answers. And and I've had people from EMS agencies like yeah. we can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> well, really? Because, I mean, what wh we can't help you because they they don't know. They don't know what they they honestly don't know. You know, if, if you're if you're going through town and something medical happens and you provide medical and you, you know, alert the local 911 system, what do you I mean, what are they going to do? Are you supposed to allow them just to, you know, to cramp in front of you? So, yeah, it's just it's we'll see. Well, we'll see if it changes. But I, I can't see it changing anytime soon where there's, you know, re reciprocity, you know, in between states and counties all over the state for medics that are highly trained. Yeah. So that's interesting, man. So a couple of things. I want to come back around to the ketamine conversation because I'm curious to how those medics who go to a non-ketamine area are received by the physicians because, but that's a side note. So one of the things I really like that KDI has done or Carl Delaguerra, who it's KDI, right? So he has started training a lot of like, so he's up in Fort Mill, South Carolina. So Lancaster County EMS right next door which is where my buddy Brian works. He's a training coordinator. Well, he's assistant training coordinator. But so what he started doing is bringing, so he'll do his 80-hour dignitary protection course, right? Because the way he sort of looked at it, and it's kind of brilliant because we talked about it on a podcast at one point, and that's how I sort of got into it, is he'll bring medics in and he'll bring him like, hey, look, this is our basic 80-hour dignitary protection course. This is how we do the work, right? So if we do, if they do a detail there, they have somebody who can be off-duty from Lancaster County like if they need it in that area, right? And they've, they've done it with a couple other medics and if we did it in Austin, right? So if they do, if they do uh, like have a principal in that area, they can go, hey, if you can just roll with the team, right? You already know how we do things. You understand how we do things. They've already integrated and they already sort of know they have that idea because that's sort of the, that 80 hour course is the kind of basic onboarding, you know? And so at least you've got paramedics who have an idea of what's doing and two, you can liaise with like other local 
EMS system, because you probably know people in most of those EMS systems around you. That was one of the nice things about Austin is I knew guys in Wilco and Hayes County on both ends of it, right? Some in Blanco, right? But you know, they don't do a lot of stuff in Texas. It's more North Carolina, South Carolina, Arizona for as far as KDI. But it's been a really good, it was, I thought it was kind of a brilliant idea to because I think there's probably eight or nine paramedics have gone through the KDI 80 hour course, right? So you have an idea. Right. You have a, you know, say, I mean, are you going to be that high level body man? Probably not. Right. But you've got a paramedic, you've, you know, who's got that street knowledge who understands how things work. Right. But you've also, you also understand the security aspect of it. That might be a way to go, man. I don't know. It's uh, now it's not cheap to train guys because you usually give some free spots to the paramedics. Right. Or you got to get the agency right. to pay for it. That's another conversation too. Cause getting EMS to cough up money is not easy. Yeah. So here's, so a lot of people will do that. So they'll, they'll have medics, but they're uncomfortable sending their medics to, let's say another state, another County. And what they'll do is try to find a local EMS agency, uh, or local, uh, private, uh, either private security that may have medical direction, which is rare, yeah. uh, or they'll try to find, uh, an event medicine, uh, type organization yeah. that maybe does concerts and things like that. And they'll use those medics. The problem is, is, you don't know what you're getting, right? Unless you've yeah. actually worked with these people before or they've gone yeah. through a training course with you. If you're a KDI or one of these other big agencies, you don't kind of know what you're getting. So yeah. are you just getting a medic, you know, that's used to seeing who knows what at, you know, a concert or are you getting someone who's kind of going to be high level and be able to, to run with your team and, yeah. you know, not just sit in a medical tent. So that becomes an issue. Another issue is, is, you know, with your example, Whose medical direction is that paramedic working under? Exactly. That becomes the problem. Right. So that's the real issue is, is he really working under, let's say he works for an ambulance company, but he's going to moonlight for this EP team for the weekend while the client's here. Well, whose medical direction are they working under? Yeah. Because the EMS, you know, medical director or the private ambulance medical director is probably not even aware that this guy is doing that. So that becomes the real issue. And yep. the issue becomes, you know, the issue for is be, is the basically the medic. So that's yep. where kind of the medics, the EMTs that may be on security teams that don't have medical direction who are asked by CSOs um, to provide medical, you know, they're in a and they're in a tough spot because they've yep. probably got a good paying gig. They probably enjoy their work. Yep. And now do they push back on the CSO and say, hey, listen, I don't have medical direction, so I really technically can't do anything other than just basic life support, CPR, AED, stop the bleed. So you you can't ask me to throw an IV in and give Benadryl and, you know, give albuterol and things like that. Um, So that becomes kind of the issue. And it's just, it's just the way the EMS system has worked. Yeah, it's not, it's not made for, uh, and it's not built for kind of across state lines with, you know, multiple states, most multiple county jurisdictions. So that's where. So that's where kind of the medical direction for sometimes a third party, like an XBJ with, you know, PJs that have my medical direction are able to travel and they're always working under my, under my protocols. Yeah. Yeah. And that's huge too. Cause like, you know them, you know what their capabilities are, you know, like, you know, cause you, I mean, yeah, just like any other job, right. You know, you've got some paramedics who are super high speed or whether it's a PJ, some are super high speed and some. Uh, maybe not, right? Just just what it is. And I mean, but again, you know them. One of the things, that, well, like and like you said, what we ran into is not really medical direction. So it's going to be BLS. You know, I'm not going to start an IV on anybody. I'm not going to do that. I can, I can liaise with an EMS system, right? If we're in that area, and I can say, hey, look, this is what I think it is. Tell them who I am, and make recommendations, right? But again, it's going to be, you know, it's just going to be like they're going to fall into their protocols, right? But so yeah, right. you make a great point. And again, like you said, like you don't know. 
you know, not all paramedics, just like all physicians and they're not all are created equal, right? You know, I mean, are you getting a high speed guy who's thinks outside the box, especially if it's an austere environment or a tactical environment or whatever, you know, or is it going to be somebody who's like, I don't know. I just went through VMT a few years ago and. Mm. Right. Yeah. It, 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 and a lot of these high net worth clients that we work with, they expect the best. Yeah. And so that's why they kind of work with, you know, my group and, you know, the XPJ uh, group where they just kind of know they're going to get a high speed guy that's kind of cross training EP and medical. I mean, we're, we're yeah. only geared at doing the medical component, but it really is good to have a medic like yourself that has a military and law enforcement background, but also is cross trained in executive protection. So they can kind of see what's going on. They can kind of uh, see what might be happening in the next five minutes and, and kind of work under those parameters versus just you know, a field medic who's just used to being on scene for five minutes and treating the patient there. Sometimes it doesn't yeah. work like that in EP. No, no. That's one of the things we did a scenario when we did our last TECC course with, uh, with our places, you know, like we, like I, you know, I was driving, you know, throw them in the back of my car and like, Hey, look, we got to extricate this patient, right? You got to treat this seizure. Right. And we try not to always go with the, t- with the, with the trauma scenario. That's, that's the easy right. stuff. Right. And sometimes it's a gunshot wound, right? We're like, Principal's having a seizure. We got to get him out of here, right? We put him in the back of the car, do a little, little crazy driving, you know, just to kind of get him used to that sort of thought process. But, you know, it's because how many times you got slung around the back of an ambulance? I want to go back to the ketamine conversation for a sure, second, right? Because goddamn, it's a hot button right now, right? It's it's weird to me, I think. So we've had ketamine. At, oh, I said we have. I, I, now that I'm retired, I can't really say we anymore, but um ketamine what six seven years and we haven't had any real issues with it right we have now some physicians are like you gave ketamine i'm like yeah like you know and he's he's doing great right whether it's for well it's not excited delirium anymore there's a new term for it what's the new term for excited delirium they don't like you saying excited delirium anymore but but we oh yeah yeah yeah, we gave it for pain management for excited delirium right you know and i mean now granted the whole colorado thing has kind of EMS is that weird animal where people are like, no, medics don't know what they're doing, right? Or some people are like, oh, these guys are pretty squared away. It's usually a doc like you who knows his guys, right? Or gals, whatever it is, right? right. It's like, no, my people are squared away, right? So, right. I mean, how long has ketamine been a safe, effective medication on the battlefield, right? You know, in TCCC. And it, no one ever says shit about that, right? But, you know, you have a... a I love ketamine. Yeah, right? I it's a absolutely great- love ketamine. I don't usually give it for pain. Um, but I, I give it all the time for procedural sedation. I yeah. mean, it's my go-to for kids. I can give yes. two milligrams per kilo of ketamine and literally sit in the corner and not worry about the kid. The kid's going to maintain his airway. He's yeah. going to be out cold for the procedure. Isn't going to remember a thing is going to come out groggy, not remember a thing. And I don't see a CO2 dip. I don't see you know, a saturation dip. I don't really see any side effects that I have to really ever worry about. And those are much higher doses. Um, and they're not, I am, I'm giving it IV. Yeah. I mean, you could safely get four milligrams for sedation I'm talking about. So we're not talking about pain control. I don't believe in San Bernardino County. Uh, we, we give it for excited delirium. Um, but it is for pain management and it's a low dose. It's like 30 milligrams yeah. and there's specific parameters. You know, I can pull it up, but there's specific parameters, yeah. age, weight, you know, you're not giving 30 milligrams to a two-year-old baby. They're yeah. like 14, 15 years old, you know, weighing more than 50 kilograms. I'm throwing numbers out there, yeah. completely safe dose. I mean, you're talking about less than half a milligram per kilo. Um, I am. So it, it, it's, it's usually not an issue. And, and the reality is it's 
not addicting, it's not habit forming versus pushing, you know, five milligrams of morphine on a kid IV, you know, and having him get that rush and then, you know, could possibly cause, you know, an addictive type uh, reaction because whatever the injury is, is they needed five milligrams of morphine. They're going to probably be on Norco and, you know, other things when they get out of the hospital for whatever fracture, broken, you know, bone they have. Um, or, you know, Tylenol with coding. So, I mean, I think it's a pretty safe and effective. And, and, yeah, and because we're, and because we're in just kind of that large County, we, we, we need options, uh, in the County to treat pain, um, without just pushing our cot opiates, opiates, opiates for, you know, an hour, hour and a half transport yeah, until uh, you get to the hospital. Yeah. And that's a long you transport know, time. That's a, that's a fairly long time. Fentanyl, you're going to, fentanyl is going to wear off quick and you're just going to redose and redose and redose. Right. Yep. And, you're going to keep redosing. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and it's the, it, yeah, fentanyl would be the worst medicine to give to someone who may have to be in the back of a rig for an hour because they have no hems unit and they have to drive down the hill to get to, you know, the mm-hmm. trauma center if they need it, you know? So, yeah. um, but then again, it's not even just for trauma. It may be for just pain, yeah. you know, whatever kidney stone pain. And you've got yeah. 25 oh. minute transport time. Nobody wants to writhe around in pain for that long. No, you know? No. Yeah. And it's, I, and too, I've never, you know, with, you know, whether it's, whether you're sedating with like Versed or you're giving fentanyl for pain, right. I've always, you know, that I always worry more than about, you know, that respiratory drive lowering as opposed to with, with, with ketamine. I, you know, I only ever think we ever had one, but he was already kind of polypharm overdose and was just the excited delirium thing. And we ended up tubing him, but like, again, that's just reassess your pacing, reassess your pacing. You know, the guys in Colorado were like, ah, we gave him some ketamine. It's good. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But I mean, that's just shitty medicine, right? So, I mean, it's kind of a weird situation. You got to look on your face. What's up? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a story in residency. So, yeah. I mean, ketamine is actually uh, one of the side effects is, is it's a bronchodilator. Yeah. So I remember my attending 20 years ago in residency on the PED side, when we worked PEDS emergency room, he would run around with a ketamine and all these asthmatics, he would just give a low dose of IV ketamine to some of these kids, help them relax a little bit, yeah. kind of decrease the respiratory drive, dilatory effect. You know, the worst thing is having an asthma attack, being a three or four year old or a five year old and huffing and puffing and, yeah. you know, panicking. What better medication to help, you know, you could give Ativan to someone, but all you're going to do is decrease the respiratory drive and knock them out. Or you can give exactly. them ketamine that has the bronchodilatory effect along with kind of relaxing you a little bit. And we're not talking procedural sedation doses or yeah. even, I mean, we're talking, you know, 0.1 milligrams per kilo, you know, on a kid. So you're talking about a 40, 50 pound kid, you're, you're, you're given, uh, sorry, 50, you know, 40 kilo kids, you're given yeah. like four milligrams. You're, you're not given a large dose. Yeah. Um, and you can always redose more. You can, I mean, this is, you know, obviously common knowledge, but I mean, I tell my guys all the time, like, listen, you can always give more. I, I tell my nurses to this day, it's like, oh, are you only going to give that much? Like Ativan on some of these older patients who just need to relax a little bit. Yeah. They like want to give one milligram or even a half. I go, why? Let me give them a quarter milligram. We'll just reassess them in a little bit. But yeah. if I give them a one milligram and they're knocked out for the next 18 hours, there's nothing I can really do to reverse that. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing, man. So reassessment, you know what I mean? Like I, it's, I mean, it, I think that just gets to be like that, that laziness. I, you know, you see it in any field, right? I mean, that's, you know, like, especially if you guess, I mean, you know, ketamine is a strong medication given properly, you know, it's safe. Right. But like reassess your goddamn patient. That was a big thing. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth and I haven't dove too deep in the two medics in Colorado that got, you know, and I think the cop that got busted for murder as well. But I think that's kind of a slippery slope. But the, I was, you always see the, the downstream effects of like, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of emergency physicians who are like, medics shouldn't have ketamine. I'm like, it's a safe, effective drug, man. Why aren't you taking that out of yeah. the out of the toolkit, but yeah. you know, the same thing comes around with, with, uh, advanced airways, right. Innovation and all that. They're like, Oh, medics should, they, they're terrible at tubes. I'm like, well, yeah, one of my things of that is, is like, you know, how many, how many physicians, uh, keep track of their, their tube successful placement, right? Not many do. I'm like, Hey, do you track your tubes? They're like, no, no. I'm like, all right, well, but I mean, cause the EMS, most solid EMS systems track their tube success rate. Right. You know and I mean? You know, is that just retraining? Yeah, no, right. But I think it's just things become cyclical, right? In in that whole that whole thought process. But just ketamine's been yeah. my hot button lately. Yeah, I don't know too much about the whole Colorado case. I don't know the details of how yeah. much ketamine they gave or why they gave it. But once you've got, you know, someone on a bunch of who knows illicit drugs, and you start pushing more medications, you're going to have interactions and reactions. Yeah. So I don't know much about it. But I mean, it's the same thing about propofol, right? You know, yep. we don't give propofol usually in the EMS system, but you know, a doctor killed Michael Jackson with propofol. Yeah. But I love propofol. Yeah. For adults. Yeah. If I need to put a shoulder or a hip in or something mm. where I really do need max sedation and, yeah. you know, no, you know, uh, increased muscle tone that sometimes you can get with uh, ketamine. Mm-hmm. Propofol is the, is the, is the, is the medicine to, is the That's sedation the to give. Yeah. It's the go-to. I love it. Yeah. You yeah. have to worry about respiratory depression you got to worry about maybe some hypotension but yeah. it works and it works well you know if you want me to put your hip back in you know yeah. you don't want to do it awake you don't want to do it with just <laughs> no. morphine or dilaudid no so yeah because that was a painful trip to the hospital already right a hip yeah, or i mean so shoulders not as bad but that hip mm, that's no good yeah so and then, shoulders are easy to put in yeah 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 i want to get because you said something and man you spoke to my soul right the ultrasound in ep because I, I first off I, I think an ultrasound you get the butterfly that's what we had at austin right i mean mm-hmm. it's just a great it's a great tool for ems and it's not now am i an ultrasound technician no right but i had a solid class on it right you know we test on it we you know when we have to keep retraining on it retraining on it, right but it for for trauma for cardiac arrest you know just for trauma cardiac arrest alone or if you're going to trying to see bleeding in the belly just a solid fast exam is a great tool and mm-hmm. i and I don't know if it's more of a money thing or, but, but like, but you talking about bringing the EP world, I thought that was brilliant, right? Because that's just another great diagnostic tool that's, again, not shitting on ultrasound technicians, but it's not a hard, it's not a hard tool to learn if you pay attention and know what you're looking for, right? So let's talk about that ultrasound for a minute. Yeah. So, you know, ultrasound techs are really good at what they do yeah. when you need very detailed imaging studies. You know, you're looking for, testicular torsion you're looking for a variant torsion um you're looking for uh in a susception in a little you know four week old or pyloric stenosis i mm-hmm. wouldn't ever expect anybody in ep to be that good at doing ultrasound yeah. you know in, in emergency medicine now they have EMA, uh, ultrasound fellowships 
that are one year where all they do is just ultrasound. But when Ooh. you think about what you can do with ultrasound now, I mean, you can look for retinal detachments. You can look for abscesses, skin abscesses, fluid around the heart, pneumothorax, mm -hmm. fast exam, blood, yep. blood around the heart. I mean, you could see some, I mean, IV access now. Now yep. our nurses yep, exactly. in, in the emergency department are using ultrasound, bedside ultrasound for, you know, hard sticks. You know, we obviously use ultrasound all the time for yep. central line placement and things like that. I mean, all, uh, just a quick, you know, guy with belly pain, just throw it on there. Look for gallstones, look for the shadowing. Yep. It's, it's not hard. And the great thing is, is I carry a butterfly. I have it right here in my bag in my office. Um, it's great. It's portable. It's literally the size of a wallet yep. with a cord that you can plug into an iPad or your iPhone. Phone. Yep. It, it's so it, it's so easy to use. It's no more of the days of these huge things that you know look like a bookshelf that you have to roll around. Yeah. yeah. And to not use them. And, and and by no means am I saying every EP person should know ultrasound not even close to be honest yeah. with you not even an emt should you know be using it yeah i think it's for the high level providers the medics that can actually do something about what they find yeah you know um, yeah. And, and it's something we're implementing it's something the the pjs are gonna get start using um and, and it makes sense when you're out on a boat somewhere with a client and they're having belly pain you know and it just started if yep. you can do a quick belly exam, look for gallstones. It'd be nice to know if we, if you had gallstones prior to that, but yeah. sometimes, sometimes you don't. Um, or if you know someone's got abdominal pain and they're a 30 year old female and they may possibly be pregnant, you know, the first thing you're worried about is, you know, ectopic pregnancy. And if you're able to, oh, geez, they're eight weeks along and we could see a, a fetus in the uterus, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to probably still need medical attention, but it, it's not as, um, concerning versus not seeing you know a uh a pregnancy in the uterus yeah That's yeah yeah more concerning yeah so yeah i mean even if yeah if you get solid with it i mean even too like i mean you could see a, an enlarged prostate you could see like you know you got a fatty I mean, liver yeah. a little bit right there the the nuances get pretty good and we used it at austin I, I, a lot for trauma a lot for abdominal pain and for cardiac arrest like you know, if you've got a pea right and you've got no changes you know that's one more tool that i can when i when i call the physicians like hey look we're thinking about calling this this code right you know we've given every drug and you know we've gone through the whole protocol right and we've got no activity you know but i've got this pea that's just you know refractory to everything right so mm -hmm. you know but it's just a great diagnostic tool i was i was stoked when you said that because like if i just talked to other ems providers around here about about ultrasound they're like what you use an ultrasound i'm like it's they're portable man you just plug it into your iphone and you're ready to roll it's it's a great yeah. tool it's just a great diagnostic tool yeah it's a uh, i think a lot of the innovation that happens in these ems systems are, are are forced upon some of these ems systems that are in and i don't know how austin travis county or travis austin county yeah how big it is and how huge you know, how far out you are yeah so a lot of these things where you're getting you know the the people that are doing, you know, uh, whole blood transfusions are going to be in these large counties where whole blood transfusions will save lives. Yep. Whole blood transfusion doesn't save a life in LA County, you know, where you're in South Central LA, you're five minutes away from a trauma oh, center. Yeah. There's absolutely no reason for you to be carrying whole blood. Like if you need to give whole blood because they're not going to make it five minutes to the trauma center, that person's probably not going to make it. But if you need to give a couple of units to someone who has an hour and a half transport time, 
who maybe lost some blood in the field and who may or may not be actively bleeding. And you can give TXA along with whole blood, you're probably going to save that guy's life and get him to the trauma center. So, yeah. you know, a lot of this innovation comes from um, just the, the actual need, just based on the geographics of where you're working. You know, yeah. the whole blood is not going to happen in the heart of New York City. The yeah. whole blood is not going to happen in the heart of San Francisco. Yeah. Just not. doesn't make any sense. We don't have enough whole blood to, 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 to give to medics to put in a fridge somewhere. Uh, to use to get thrown away because it's never going to get used after you know a few weeks so uh, all this uh, and for me ultrasound probably not going to be all that necessary to use in silicon valley when we're there yeah but they have it when we're on our on our boats you know they have it when we travel abroad yeah and i think too that that's a bit more of an austere environment right whether it's maritime or like you're not you're not right by a level one trauma center like you said right it's not like you have you could call nine one one, or just right? the hospital. Yeah, yeah, or just yeah. the hospital. You don't need. I mean, it may not even be a traumatic thing, but if I have a hospital twenty minutes away, and it's a non-traumatic belly pain, and they're writhing around in pain, ultrasound yeah. may or may not give me an idea of what's going on, but it's not really necessary. Yeah, um, yeah, true, true, right. I, but I think it's solid if you've got you know guys you trust, guys you know, guys you've trained, right. You can definitely narrow down that whole index of suspicion a lot quicker. It seems like, or if they're going to telemed you, they can give you a better patient report i guess for lack of absolutely right and just just, lay it out and you're like oh hey this is what i'm you know just like i would do like this is what i'm thinking you're like what do you think and you're like that sounds good let's do this that and the other right yeah it's free information as long as the guys are trained on it on it and then as just technology gets better and better i mean there's if you've used the butterfly i mean that there's there's some an ai component to it where it's like it's easy to pick an abdominal type ultrasound or a cardiac and you go and it sets Mm -hmm. the settings up you know, of the ultrasound probe to specific that cardiac exam or that fast exam. So it just makes it very easy to use. You just got to yeah. know what you're looking at. And yeah. The and that's time, the key. The only, you need the training and you need the, you need the probe time. You need to be able to say, oh, geez, I've looked at 10 normal gallbladders. This one looks a little different and, yeah. and determine that that looks abnormal. Uh, it's just training. I yep. mean, 20 hours of training, 30 hours of training yep. to do, you know, five or six, you could be pretty proficient in it as long as yeah. you, you know, like most things in medicine, in the EP field, they're all perishable. You're not doing, exactly. you know, 24 hour shifts on a rig where you're going to see things over and over again. And that's your retraining. You know, that's the big issue with EP is you can go to EMT school all you want, but if you didn't write a rig, you know, once a month for, you know, the last five years and you haven't done anything medical in five years, Good luck. Your EMT means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And for me now, like, um, I don't necessarily want to get back on an ambulance part-time, but I would like to work in an ED part-time for a while. Cause that's a whole side that I never really see. Right. 30 years as a paramedic, right. I've got through a lot of cool shit, but I, I don't like, you know, when you start talking about lab values, I'm like, I've got a basic work and knowledge. Right. But I don't see mm-hmm. the, the back end of like, you know, what occurs in an ED. And I kind of want to get that experience maybe you know, on a PRN level. Right. Obviously, but and I want to keep my skills up and I want to keep that, that thought process, you know, and that, that always learning. I, I kind of nerd out on a pathophys book. I just got the other day on Amazon. That was a friend of mine recommended, but you know, I just have that curiosity now. I'm like, well, that's a side I don't, I don't see. You know, I just, I bring my, like, here you go. Here's what's up. Right. Here's what I saw, you know, and then the patient right. tells them something completely different. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it, it, it is good to just have both that experience in field and the in, in hospital experience. I mean, I, obviously I've got more of the in hospital experience than I do of yeah. the, the, in, uh, 
in, uh, you know, out in the field. Um, but you know, I've been a flight medic for 20 years. Yeah. Yes. You did the helicopter work, right? It's- yeah. I mean, I, I, since basically since COVID I've, I've stopped, um, because of politics and things like that, of yeah. you know, having healthcare workers on during COVID, the whole height of it. Um, uh, but we've restarted. Um, uh, but you know, I, I've done 20 years on a helicopter. I'm, I'm ready to, to make a change into something yeah, different right yeah. now. So I get that. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've transported trauma patients where I've showed up without an IV and you yeah. get the nurses going, you didn't get an what? IV. And I'm, oh yeah, it's it's wild, and I'm like, and they're treating uh, you like a regular this? medic. They're like, who's this? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I don't care. But the problem was, is there was so much other stuff going on in the back of a helicopter. You got to know my world too, you know. So yeah. I, it gives me, uh, I, 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 what's the word here? I'm looking for. You should better. I give a lot of appreciation, and it gives me a lot. Of, I, I'm very merciful to some of the medics who may have not done something I think they could have done because yeah. I, I know how it is working, you know, working in the, in the field. So, I mean, I get it. Sometimes there's just no time or sometimes it's just too hard. I mean, try to put, you know, an IV in someone who's small or super fat uh, and you can't see veins in a helicopter in an old, yeah. you know, 1950s, 1960s UH-1 Huey from the <laughs> Vietnam era yes. as, it, as, it, as it shakes oh, as yeah. you're just flying. Oh. You know, good luck when you think it's hard putting it in a in an ambulance that's got four wheels. Put it in a heat. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. fine. Oh, in a yeah. Turbulence. So, yeah. It, yeah, you know, you, you just kind of it, it's nice to have kind of to see both aspects of medicine, you know, the in hospital and out of hospital and, you know, the difficulties that it, it comes with. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. Again, you know, because there's a lot of things that I don't see. But, you know, I, for one, like lab values, my girlfriend, you know, she's been an emergency room nurse for like, what, 18 years. You know, she can like, she's like, oh, that's an abnormal lab value. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'd have to look that up, right? It's just, just yeah. not, it's not my wheelhouse, right? You know, but now some of that, you know, some of it does bleed over. Like, you know, I start like, you know, they start talking about D-dimers. I'm like, okay, I understand what the process that is. But it would be not, it's one of the reasons I want to do some ED work is because like, I don't see that whole process. Like what, you know, the, the, the testing process, like, you know, what are we looking for in lab values? Going down that whole pathophys, you know, like, or, or just trying to figure out why is this belly pain, this belly pain? Right. You know, th- that kind of thing. I, it, it's going to be interesting. I just got to find somebody to hire me first, but there's smaller. Yeah. Hospitals I mean, here, it, but. yeah. I mean, even if you just, you start, I mean, as a, as a medic, you're going to be limited kind of to oh, what yeah. you can do, but you can also, you know, follow those patients in shadow and see the thought process of the doc and the nurse as they're, you know, intake the patient all the way to discharge and, you know, what labs they run and, and what tests they run and how they evaluate the labs and the test and, and go from there. I mean, yeah, it's always been my curiosity, right? Like, you get those yeah, special I mean, cases yeah. I always follow up with. I'm like, I'm like, I got, I got, when I get back, I got to find out what happened with this guy or what was it or what was the story, right? Right. Yeah. And sometimes we never know. Yeah. I, I don't know, know how many I belly know. pains that I've done everything and done CAT scans and ultrasounds and no answer. And, but there's a lot of, you know, pathology that you're not going to see on a CAT scan or an ultrasound. I mean, you can have True. IBS, you can have all kinds of different things that you may or may not catch on. I mean, gas pains, you're never going to find on a CAT scan or an ultrasound or on any labs, but yeah. gas pains can be really hard, you know, really painful. If you've ever had a colonoscopy or ever yeah. had really bad gas pains, you know, it, it hurts, you know, yeah. and it ain't going to kill you, but it, it does hurt, but you know, we yeah. may not catch it on any kind of imaging yeah. or, or lab study. It, um, in emergency medicine, right. You always, you, you have a bit of that, uh, 
So I'm looking for patients who aren't the best historians, right? You know, or they'll tell me a different story, you know, when I get them, oh, yeah. you know, I'm like, yeah, you take any meds? No. You know, we get to the hospitals, you may take any meds. Yeah. I got high, I take for high, high blood pressure, yeah. hypertension. You know, I'm like, Oh, I used to get so assed up about that. I'm like, you just told me, you know, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's always I, that fishing through the, uh, or wading through, I guess would be a better way to put it. Like wading through the questions and trying to figure out the best, uh, you're like a detective trying to figure shit out. Yeah. There's always three stories that a patient gives you, right? There's yeah. either the, the story they tell the medics in the field or the triage nurse. Then you get the bedside nurse that tell another story too. And then you get the doc story. And then sometimes even the the story to the doc changes at time of discharge or another symptom gets added or something else gets added. And it's just human nature. You know, yeah. it's everybody's telling their story and it depends on how you ask the questions. And, yeah. you know, if you, if you point to questions to, Hey, is it this, 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 or this, and you don't just let them speak, you're going to get, they're going to agree with you most of the time. Yeah. So you're yeah, going to get, always, always going to get always different stories. Yeah. Yeah. Or you get that, you know, they give you the story from DNA to present, you know, it's like, so what's going on tonight? And I was like, well, you know, back in 1932 and I'm like, well, let's, let's start with what you like. Right. Tonight. But, yeah. um, but sometimes you just got to let them speak because somehow there yeah. is always some relevancy to it. And yeah, and really I've done is. it where it's like, you're, you're busy. You cut them off and say, Hey, let's, let's get to, yeah. you know, let's get to this. And then after all the tests and everything is done, you come back to discharge them, and then they start telling you about the 1932s and whatever. And yeah. And you're like, like, Oh crap that I wish I would have known that three hours ago. Uh, yeah. but it was my fault for shutting you up, you know, but yeah, that's yeah, the nature of sure, what man. we do. Yeah. It's double-edged sword. You're man. busy, you know, you're busy and, and you're moving on. You're, you're trying to see more patients and, and it's just the nature of the, of the business. Yeah. I had a couple of questions from my buddy that was just on, um, well, we're newly friends, right? Uh, Brian Winter is a paramedic up, uh, Seattle area, right? Firefighter paramedic, okay. but he sent me a couple of questions for you. So let me get these for, for Brian, man. Super good dude, man. Um, uh, do you teach uh, your guys to approach duty to act while on detail, say a cardiac arrest drops and do they administer aid? Do you keep moving with the principal or is that kind of a, is that more of a, it depends question it, it it depends on the scenario i mean it, right. it, so i mean i gave an example earlier about just you know our, our detail on our boat when there was a, a boat accident and i mean nothing was going on there was no harm to our client everything was fine on our ship right. um and we we launched to you know that that boating accident yeah um the prop strike what's that was it a prop strike it, I, uh, I, I ran some i believe lines. it was propeller strike no it wasn't a prop so i've had prop strikes before at the river when i've done dive details for yes. big uh big events um those are bad there's always a death usually every year yeah. you know in the colorado river up in mm -hmm. lake havasu um this one was just i i want to say it was a jet ski or it was just a, a smaller boat versus a bigger boat Ooh. and they just basically collided and the guy was mm -hmm. an older gentleman and had a head injury and, and torso injuries um but obvious skull fracture and brain injury um, so that was bad, but we had a PJ, uh, I want to say was there actually, I think there was two page PJs at the time nice. and those guys were able to get them up out of the water and transport them and get them on a tender and, and get them on, you know, to, to shore. Um, nice. he never made it back to our boat, but we did get them uh, to shore and transfer care. The problem is, is that Island at the time literally had a small hospital, which was almost like an urgent care. Yeah. And they basically did what they could just to kind of keep the guy alive until they can medevac him out to, I believe he went to Florida, Miami. Yeah. Um, the, the next day. So it wasn't even the same day. Yeah. Medevac. So. Yeah. How do you, how do you guys, how do you train you guys or like, do you have a protocol for like that? I mean, cause you start going to like the top of the Virgin Islands, some of these places, right? You don't necessarily have 
you don't have a level one trauma center close by, right? Um, is it just going to be more like contextual or well, more case by case? Like if it's like, let's say it's more of a medicine patient, like let's say it's a chest pain, whatever. Right. And you're like, okay, well, fuck, it could be an MI. I don't know. I don't have a 12 lead handy to throw on him. Right. Um, what do you have any like considerations for like, let's say you've got a principal that has a cardiac history, right? Like, I mean, is that, is there a lot of advanced pre-planning on like, okay, there's our hospitals or our cardiac places. You know, there's, there's a couple trips every year that our client does. Um, and there's always an advance and it makes it easier every yeah. year because it's, it's the same spot, same oh, place. That's, yeah, that's um, huge. you know, so prime example is St. Bart's, St. Martin. They're, they're two islands close. Um, and we have, everything is done advanced work. We know where we're going, the nearest clinics, the nearest hospitals, uh, the nearest bigger, bigger hospitals that can, uh, uh, see our patients. So St. Martin is, is a more robust medical system than St. Yeah. Bart's. Um, we do have a private jet that we can, you know, make yeah, into nice. a medevac. Uh, we've got helicopter, we've got multiple boats, we've got smaller tenders that could, you know, go by water if we needed to versus, you know, if we were grounded because of weather, you know, darkness, what have you. Um, so yeah, there's always a medical advance. I mean, obviously our clients have had their medical threat assessment in terms of their medical backgrounds and um, people that are coming with them. We may not get medical histories on all the people. We usually don't. We just kind of know our client yeah. and his uh, extended family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have evacuation plans. I mean, it's St. Bart's if it's minor, St. Martin's if it's uh, something more severe, uh, and then Miami. If, if we need to, you know, get out of, you know, where we're at yeah. and, and get some, you know, and, and St. Martin's, I wouldn't say is third world. It's, I mean, it, it's a pretty good hospital. Um, yeah. But if you just want to get back into the States for probably top tier medical, you know, we, we advance all that. Um, yeah. I mean, we've got trips where the PJs have gone and this is through the pirate family. Awesome. PJs where they've embedded with other EP teams who don't have medical and those guys are there two, three days in advance before, you know, the principal comes with their family and they're advancing hospitals or advancing everything. They're doing their security advance and then the PJs. Oh, so they're doing, doing it. So it's like advanced for both at the same time, man. Yeah. I, yeah. This, this last trip we just did, they both advanced kind of both the same together. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was a bro hangout. It sounds like where, ah, nice. you know, two security folks and one medical guy hadn't met each other, but they, you know, cut from the same cloth and sounds yeah. like they had a, a good time advancing and, and making sure, you know, uh, transportation and routes and hotels and, and medical and all yeah. that stuff was uh, in line and ready for the client to get there. And it was a successful trip. Nice. Um, yeah. So we, we do all that. I mean, that, and that's part of, you know, it's not all glamour hanging out at the beaches no. with clients and, and eating fancy dinners. It's, yeah. it's all the grunt work that you have to do before. Yeah, it's rarely the, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we do that. We all, we have contingency plans, but it, it, but it's difficult because I work for a client who takes the security and the medical side very serious and there's money That's funding huge. for it. Yeah. And there's a lot of these other EP programs that, you know, just don't have medical direction because of the cost and the cost of training and mm-hmm. hiring personnel. So until the EP industry is able to provide that uh, as an added service on top of just maybe a security personnel, but you also have the medical personnel until they can yeah. kind of build that uh, or find a way to build that to the client. Um, most of the clients don't even know about it. Uh, they just yeah. think security, security, and we'll just call 911 for any medical. But a lot of these clients would love to, 
have that added functionality yeah. uh, to their teams if they were aware of it. But it's hard because, I mean, we all know the EMS system is tapped. Uh, law enforcement mm-hmm. system is tapped in terms of yeah. workforce. Everybody's hurting for medics. Everybody's oh, yeah. hurting for law enforcement. Oh, now I'm um, Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it's one of these things where, you know, most of the time you're going to end up pulling from EMS and law enforcement to support some of these high net worth private family office teams and things like that. Yeah. You know, and so it's just, it, it's hard to get people um, that are quality uh, kind of to work in the private space. Yeah, I get that, man. Second next, second question from Brian. Uh, do you teach or preach very much improvised medicine, traction splints, wound closure, pelvis binder, pelvic binder, tourniquet, that kind of thing? Any improvised stuff or is it going to be pretty? I mean, it sounds like you guys have no, we, we, gear. So. Yeah, we don't, we don't improvise anything because there's nothing for us to improvise. I mean, no. we're usually we're, we're stationary on a boat that's longer than most people's freaking, you know, yards. Yeah. Um, so we've got the ability to carry oxygen and medical equipment and ultrasound and AEDs and event and the ability to, to have pelvic binders and, and splints. Yeah. Um, we don't carry traction splint, but we you know we've got, um, splints that we can, you know, use and yeah, things like that. Um, we have the ability to evacuate if we need to from a boat with a helicopter or a tinder and yeah. the ability to get out of town and on a private jet if, if we need to. So, um, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Like there's. I mean, if we're improvising something, that means we screwed up on the advance, and we're not bringing yeah. the, the you know, the, the correct equipment with us. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys aren't like going to be like, well, that junctional tourniquet's pretty high, so we're just going to use two cats and a helmet, right? No, we're going to buy a junctional tourniquet, right. right? So, right. I mean, but again, you know, I I get his point, right? Well, and two, like you know, eighteen deltas and PJs, right? Those guys MacGyver shit all the time, you know. I mean, but it's more on the fly, I think. But I think that just comes from from you know, time, time on task and time in the field. Yeah, no, I mean, if our client decides he wants to go hike, you know, Kilimanjaro, we're going to probably have to improvise some things because yeah. we're not carrying all that equipment. Yeah. Uh, our client just doesn't, he's not that type of, you know, a principal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it all, it all kind of depends. I mean, yeah, there's going to probably be times where we do have to improvise. And at that point, I don't really treat, you know, uh, train improvised, um, tourniquets and things like that, because you should be able to carry a tourniquet with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? They've got these super soft, you know, these super small now snake system tourniquets and, yeah. you know, your cats is not that big and you've got rats tourniquets that our Cove Pro teams use as belts, you know, when yeah. they're, you know, on a Cove Pro assignment, uh, you know, where they're not having to carry a big IFAC with them. Um, it, it all depends on the scenario. But yeah, I mean, it, it is good to to know, you know, how to make a, a tourniquet and, and improvise it. Yeah. Um, I mean, rope and a stick. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And, you know, a yeah. t-shirt and a stick, something that you can use as a fulcrum to, you know, some get some pressure there. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's not something we really train on. Yeah. I always think of it more as like, not so much a tourniquet per se, but like, uh, but for like an improvised junctional tourniquet, because not everybody's going to run out and spend that money on the, just because it's cool and green, you know, but Right. Um, but yeah, but I mean, just stuff yeah. like that. To be honest with you, we don't even carry junctional tourniquets because most junctional injuries between packing, uh, yeah. really bandage and something, if you can get it tight enough, do you really need to carry that, that, that equipment? If you're going to have, let's say a groin uh, injury or an armpit injury. Um, I mean, if you can't pack that wound and get an Israeli yeah. or some kind of, you know, coban or elastic bandage around that and yeah. get enough pressure on there. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, if you can't make Coban work for you, I mean, Coban is great. 
if you can't make toe band yeah. work for you, best ever. I mean, that right? stuff stretches, and you can put as much force on it as, as possible, depending, you know, the area and the wound, and, and just pack that wound in so much, yep. and keep a big uh, pile of gauze on the outside, so that when you co band it down, it just causes that much more internal pressure. Yep. You know, then I, I think you're you're doing a, you should be solid. You're yeah. doing okay. You don't really need that junctional uh, tourniquet in terms of extra equipment. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's I mean. You know, we're, not, we're not in war we're not in wartime yeah 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 well i mean I think that I may be the thing it. that we really improvise but i don't even know if yeah. that's improvisation or versus just just knowing the physics and yeah. you know uh of yeah just, well, anatomy and physiology yeah. Uh, yeah just how things bleed and, and how you stop it it's literally just direct pressure and if you can't get direct pressure then you have to get indirect pressure and that's what the you know the packing and the uh you know the gods do and yeah and the cobia yeah, that question went right on my head for a second. Um, yeah, no, I get what you're saying though. It's it's interesting because you see, like, I, well, because everyone wants the, the cool new toy, the cool new thing, right? The cool new, like, oh, we got this new junction. Oh, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, but you know, but like you said, oh, no, my point was is like, I think it's like everything, whether it's jujitsu or whether it's like the basics. Having you know, being incredible at the basics is always going to be like your saving grace. Shooting the whole nine yards, right? That's always been my thing. Is just if I just hammer on the basics. If I understand, like, you know, but, but I mean, with medicine, you know, if I, if I understand the anatomy and physiology of something, I have, a, I know my basics, you know, like your basic wound packing, your good tourniquet placement, that kind of thing. Right. I think you're going to be super solid, but no, it's just my thought process on it. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's all time and experience. Yeah. I, I think you start to see things with experience and with time. And as you just get a little older and, you know, things that, you know, I just had a meeting with, uh, uh, an EP group yesterday. Um, and guys who have been doing EP for a while, but maybe out of the fire service and they kind of, kind of jumped into the EP space. And just mm-hmm. in that conversation, there was a lot of, oh yeah, I never thought about that. And it's just because I've been thinking about this for four years, you know, uh, on the medical side and, you know, and talking to hundreds of people in, in the space and getting ideas from other people and yeah. people getting ideas from me. You just, with time, it, it's, you know, you just start to get, you know, just kind of used to, you know, the, typical things that happen in this space so yeah yeah it's been, really, it's been an int- interesting journey yeah that's really interesting i just because you're the only doc i know of who's really interested in that side of it right you know i mean because you because it's all going to fall like all you guys are going to fall down it's going to fall down on you right you're going to be the ultimate ultimate say so you know because you're the medical direction i just don't know that many docs who are like well yeah you know like let's i know in south carolina we can even have uh like we can only have um i think it can not even say medic on it. I think first, if you're security personnel, you know, and state to state varies, right? I think we just have uh, like TECC or something, or like we are just like a little red cross thing, or whatever. Like, because we know we have an IFAC on us for the medics themselves, right? Because it can't say paramedic if you're working in the EP, if you're working as an EP, not as a paramedic, right? Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah it's just I mean, weird but, shit like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter. No, you really need anybody to know you're the medic. If you're no. on a team, you guys all know each other. You've been on the yeah. same detail for kind of seven days or 10 days. Yeah. I mean, most of yeah. we don't wear uniforms. We're wearing just plain clothes. And yeah. a lot of guys are on co-pro details, wearing flip-flops and shorts, depending on the, the weather and, and you yeah. know, the, the scenery. And, and sometimes you're wearing big hoodies and, and you know, you're freezing your butt off. Yeah. Um, and we're not, we don't have a uniform. So everybody knows everybody's... Uh, uh, role on the team when we're working. Everybody knows who's the PJ when we're on a boat. Everybody knows who the you know the medic is on a Cove Pro team. Yeah. You know, it's a group of four. 
And so you don't really need to advertise that because like yeah. I said, you're not, you're not coming to a mass casualty and, and I'm the no. medic, I'm the whatever I'm the, so a lot of that, but I mean, but that's, you know, one of these things where just rules are different in every place yeah. you go and we have to be aware of that. I, I know there's a, a gentleman I speak with and like Virginia's laws in terms of carrying meds across county lines and state lines and Virginia mm. and New Hampshire and things like that. It becomes real fraught. Like I have no desire to even do work out in Virginia or anything out there. No. Uh, and if I did, I would contact him and use his teams because he's well versed in, you know, some of the, the legalities of, you know, providing medicine out there. Um, it's just, it, it's like I said, I mean, with due time, we'll, we'll figure this all out, but yeah, <laughs> you know, man. rules and laws have to, to change and, and, you know, be fluid with, you know, this whole EP, you know, medical movement. Yeah, man, it's going to be awesome, man. man. It's been awesome sitting down and have a chance to just chat with you and like, just uh, learn from you. It's, it's awesome that, uh, that there's a physician out there who has an interest in it. Like, you know, cause a lot of times you get, leaving in the EMS, you get a physician who's like, well, I'm an EMS, you know, fellow or an EMS, you know, I'll be a medical director, but I don't want to see you really get into EMS. Right. And so, you know, I've seen those kind of medical directors who are very uh, hands off, but they're like, all right, now nah, you guys are just going to do the, uh, you know, like they don't, the, the protocols don't get progressive. Right. A lot right. of times it's just like easier just to err on the side of a lot of caution, but it's just, it's huge that you're doing it. Cause like I said, I'm not, I don't even know other physicians doing it in the EP space, but maybe it's just cause like they haven't been interviewed on podcasts yet. So. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there, there are a few and there's a few groups. We need a lot more because there's no way if we do push this EP medical and, and a lot of these teams need medical direction. Yeah. Um, you're going to either get like your typical fire department, EMS, um, medical directors. Yeah. And the majority of them are small departments, find a local ER guy who may or may not be EMS trained, doesn't really know, um, you know, field medicine, um, yeah. or doesn't really know what it entails on a day to day. And what they do is they're just a, a signature, a wet signature that, you know, they're allowed to use their DEA license and, and okay the protocols, but they never come in to train because usually it doesn't pay enough for yeah. them to be involved. And then you've got med directors that are usually in bigger, you know, counties, LA County and these big counties who are more involved because it's more of a full-time job for them. Uh, and they have to be involved because they're overseeing thousand plus, you know, medical personnel, you know, in their, in their fire departments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I get that all the time. I've been asked to be medical director for fire agencies by multiple agencies just recently, six months ago. And, and, and I just, I, I'm just too busy with some yeah. of the other things to be able to commit. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to commit to it. Yeah. And I don't want to be one of those guys that just signs off. And then the fire guys are like, Oh yeah, we haven't seen our medical director in three years. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and there's a political but, aspect of that too, though. Yeah. I mean, there's some politics. Yeah. I mean, some of the big, yeah, big agency, there's always yeah. politics. You know, these are people that are, uh, uh, brought in by the board of supervisors and things like that. But these yeah. smaller city agencies, it's wherever the chief and, you know, assistant chief want to bring on and they may or may not need, you know, approval by their city council. Uh, mm. But otherwise, if the chief wants them, then, you know, if it's a small, if it's a small town, it's basically the fire chief's uh, discretion who they want to bring in as medical mm. director. And they probably just need the approval by city council. Um, yeah. It's, it's usually not that big a deal, but, you know, depends on what you want. If you've got a progressive chief in a small town, you know, it's hard to get a progressive medical director, you know, for that small agency yeah. um, because the probably pay is not going to be there compared to what an ER guy's making, you know, working a shift or two. Yeah. Uh, instead of, so you got to have that special, 
uh, doc that's interested in kind of EMS, you know, fire medicine um, to, to bring on board. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Awesome. Where can people find you at, Doc? Uh, LinkedIn. I mean, that's, I have an Instagram we talked about earlier, but um, yeah, know, uh, sure. Raven Medical Sp- is uh, in the Raven Medical Yeah, so group. Yeah, there's two. There's under my name, Michael Gurgis, G U I R G U I S uh, M D on, on LinkedIn. And then Raven Medical Support Group is just kind of the business uh, page attached. Um, and I know you're going to bring Anthony on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been talking, man. With talking uh, XPJ. Uh, so, you know, I, I won't spoil his thunder, but yeah, I mean, XPJ also, uh, I'm affiliated with them and I'm their chief medical officer. And, and they, I think we're up to about 30 BJs now that are ready to speak. You know, do contract right work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, that, that workforce, um, you're not going to find, I mean, I'll put it out there. You're not going to find anything even close to getting PJs either recently, uh, retired or still reservists that are able to deploy for a couple days at a time, weeks at a mm-hmm. time. Um, and we can embed with any security team, you know, maybe we'll work with you guys over yeah. at, uh, KDI. Yeah. You know, if you've got details where you, you need to go abroad or, you know, other States and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those, those guys are ice free, but I, I won't take, uh, Anthony's thunder, uh, when you guys chat, but yeah, man, I'm looking good, forward good, to sitting down with him good, as well. Good dude to talk to. Yeah, man. You know, you've been great to talk to man. I, I may be picking your brain sometime soon on some other yeah. ideas that we're trying to, get going. Cause you, uh, like I said, man, you're, you're leading the forefront on the whole, like for medical control of an EP team. And that's huge. Like I said, right. So man, I love it, dude. It's been awesome sitting down and talk to you, man. I appreciate your time, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very yeah, nice yeah. to, to connect with you. I'm glad you're on LinkedIn now. Cause that's <laughs> how we, could, we, we connected there and, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I'm glad you, uh, you know, the guys over at close protection, uh, because uh yeah, I, conversation sorry, close protection. Uh, yeah yeah the conversation close protection and you know i was just at their uh yearly ipsb conference in dallas just december you know yeah. I, I talked there good dudes they're you know pushing pushing medicine and, and ep you know they're trying to make that a priority yeah. you know to the typical kind of close protection conference talks that they give every year so yeah it's uh industry's moving moving forward in terms of medical so that's good yeah, man. It's huge. It's huge. All right, Doc. Hey, we'll say goodbye and I'll talk to you offline for a second. All right. I appreciate right. it. Well, yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah. Bye, everybody. That was my conversation with the very awesome Dr. Michael Gerges. As you can tell from this conversation, Dr. G is not only a wealth of information, he's also working on bettering a burgeoning area of medicine. And as always, huge thank you to Dr. G for his time, his insights, especially his insights. I mean, it was incredible. We just doing some really cool stuff within the EP space. You can find him several places online. You can find him at michaelgergesmd.com. That's G-U-I-R-G-U-I-S. If you guys are looking for it. On LinkedIn, where he is a good bit, as we talked about, Michael Gerges, MD, or on IG, Raven Medical Support Group, or also RavenMedicalSupportGroup.com. Man, God, just a great conversation. I know this was heavy on the medicine side. It's uh, not... I, I vacillate. You guys know if you listen to the thing for the thing, the podcast for any length of time, you know, some of the medical things get a little... But uh, we get more into the medical group, but... All right. Some upcoming training opportunities. KDI Protective Services has some high-speed training events coming up now that it is 2024. 1st, January 21st through the 27th coming up. KDI's 80-hour basic dictator protection course. Talked about a little bit in this, this episode. Hosted at Lancaster County EMS Training Headquarters in Lancaster County, South Carolina. This is the signature KDI basic dignitary onboarding protection course. Absolutely incredible. 
and also in York County, South Carolina, KDI is holding their 30-hour intermediate dignitary protection course, which I'm getting ready to do again. It's an incredible course. Highly recommend. That course is February 6th through the 8th at the York County Law Enforcement Training Facility. And you're saying, well, how can I find these classes and sign up? You can go to the KDI website, teamkdi.com. Get on there. Get, get your training in. It's going to be awesome. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me, there are a couple of ways you can do that. The best is to email me at walt at the distinguishedsavage.com. Or you can DM me on Instagram at distinguishedsavage. There's a Facebook, but uh, I've been laying off Facebook lately. Man, the vitriolic attitude on there. But as always, huge thank you to my sponsor, Absolute Security and Lock, for believing in me. If you are in the Carolinas and you need anything lock, safe for security, always you go to. Don't forget, I got that Distinguished Savage merchandise for your fine ass over on the Teespring website. And as you may have seen on the Instagram, I have some new designs I'm working on. I don't know if I'm going to do those like with regular shirts, like just try to buy the shirts and ship them and all that myself. Or if I can go through Teespring, I'm still working on that. And it takes money. You can click the link on my bio on Instagram, or you can search the Teespring website for Distinguished Savage Podcast Store. Also, I got those Distinguished Savage Challenge coins for sale for your fine ass. Also, you can DM me, or if you you can DM me if you're interested, or you can email me. Uh, they're ten bucks a pop and five dollars shipping. I'd originally said three ninety five, but apparently, post office wants a little bit more, so there is that because everything's going up. So 15 bucks gets you a super cool challenge coin. And coming up next week on the show, Anthony Gallart of the company XPJ that Dr. G and I spoke of will be on. So I'm super excited about putting that episode up. And with all that said, till next time, remember, clothes make the man or woman. Accessories make the gentleman or lady. But critical thinking skills and a lethal skill set make the savage distinguished. Bye, everybody. I bust my knee in Amarillo. Broke my nose out in Arlington Cracked a couple ribs in El Paso I can't even remember San Antonio In this life, it ain't easy This life, it ain't for everyone No, this life, it ain't easy but it sure is a lot of fun Met me a sweet little thing down in Houston Said give me your buckle, baby I'll give you a smile I ain't seen her in seven weeks now It say she's carrying my child in this life, it ain't easy. This life ain't for everyone. No, this life, it ain't easy. But it sure is a lot of fun. Oakley, I ran away.
show out in Blanco Yeah, some bad home brings out the best in me In his life, it ain't easy His life ain't for everyone No, this life, it ain't easy I said his life ain't for everyone it ain't easy, but it sure is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm.